I'm going to read verses 1 through 15, but we're going to spend a bulk of our time this morning in just verses 1 through 5. So would you follow along with me if you, if you need a Bible there in your pew? On page 926, Acts 17, verses 1 through 15. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom. And on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, this Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some of the wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also, and Jason has received them. And they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as a security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing, as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea, also they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea. But Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens. And after receiving a command from Silas for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Well, this morning, Paul gave me, uh, Paul gave me the, the title for the sermon, and I've known about it for a while, and it's, it, the sermon itself has caused tension, but uh, Upsetting the World for Christ uh, is the title that he gave me, Upsetting the World for Christ. Now, as you hear that title and you begin to unpack it, you're, you're already starting to wonder, what, upsetting the world, what do you mean by that? Does that apply to me? Some of you may, may get the title immediately and may feel slightly convicted that you are currently not upsetting the world for Christ. So let me share a fact with you. And point number one, that the world needs to be upset for Christ. The world needs to be confronted with the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's not one nation, one gender, one race, one country, one age group that does not need to be met head on with the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that he brings. All of us need to be confronted with this question throughout our life. Because we read in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We read in Ephesians 2.1, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world. Because you see, ever since Genesis 3, humanity has been battling 
against the patterns of this world in order to follow the ways of the Lord. Ever since Genesis 3, when our first parents, Adam and Eve, sinned, humanity has been trying to cling to anything that will make us feel good or, make it, or will satisfy us. As hard as we try to cling to these things, they will leave us empty and they will ultimately fail us. But there is good news. There's good news that we have salvation because of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. God has given us the message of salvation in Jesus, and God uses faithful men, God uses faithful women to carry out that message. So we all need to be confronted with Jesus Christ and his message. Second thing is that God uses faithful men, God uses faithful women who are devoted to the gospel to carry out that message. The Apostle Paul had quite the experience back in Acts 8. Uh, at the end of Acts 7, there was Stephen the martyr, who as he was being stoned to death was just that Jesus is Lord and that he was sharing the gospel until he breathed his last, last breath. Paul in Acts 8 was there to, to carry out, yes, this is, this is good that you are stoning this man the way he is. And later on the Damascus Road, Paul would have quite the experience with the Lord where he just met head on, had his life changed on the Damascus Road. Paul would then spend the rest of his life on mission for God, confronting and challenging the world with the message of Jesus Christ. He continued this trend through the, through the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15, through his experience in Philippi, and now in Thessalonica. Paul had, as John, Cal John Calvin said, an unconquerable mental courage and an indefatigable endurance of the cross. Paul wrote about himself this way in Philippians 3, 7-9. Leah, can you throw this up there? But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. He goes on to say, For his sake... I suffer the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. For his sake, I suffer the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. The same needs to be true for us today. We need to be faithful men. We need to be faithful women who are passionate about the gospel and sharing the message for our entire lives. We cannot be people who become lazy, who become apathetic, who become useless within the kingdom of God. There are billions of people who are on a, on a journey toward eternal separation from God. We all need to be faithful men, faithful women who are passionate about Jesus Christ and sharing his mission so that people would come to know him and find salvation in him. We, like Paul, need to be faithful in presenting and representing the gospel to people over and over. We do this as a joyful response to what God has done in our lives. This is an act of worship that when we come across people and we share the good news, that it just brings us such great joy, we can't help but share good news. When you have good news to tell your children or your wife, a coworker, you get really excited about it, you want to seek them out and find it right away. The same needs to be true with the gospel of Jesus Christ, for that is the only way to be saved. For the Apostle Paul, the Lord had him presenting the gospel in the synagogue for just three weeks. For some of us, we may have this experience, 
But for others, we may have to do the hard work of going at people and going at them and going at them and graciously presenting the good news to people. No matter how long it may take someone to turn and understand their sin, to repent from their sin and turn towards Christ, we are to be faithful followers of the gospel and faithful sharers of this good news to all people. I love how John Wesley put it. Leah, can you put this next one up? John Wesley said, Give me ten men that hate nothing but sin and love nothing but God, and we will change the world. Just give me ten men that hate nothing but sin and loves nothing but God, and those ten men can change the world. Just imagine that, just ten men. It's like this, these front pews just right here. That's enough to change the world if they hate sin and love nothing. This is my prayer for us as a church. I want us to be a people that are passionate about dying to sin, about passionate about helping people die to their sin and helping people to understand that there is salvation in Christ Jesus. I want us to be a catalyst, a change agent for the kingdom of God. So we understand that there, there's this fact that the world needs to be confronted. We need to be met head on with the gospel. And that God uses faithful men, he uses faithful women in sharing that gospel. But what is the message of the gospel? What is the message that this morning in our text, verses 1 through 5, that caused such an uproar? What was that message that Paul was proclaiming that would ultimately upset the Jewish leaders? The answer to that question is found in our text this morning in, in verses 3 and 4. It was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead. And this Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. The fact that Jesus is who he says he is will upset the world because there is authority behind him. He has, the gospel message has facts that challenge us. Earlier in his ministry, Jesus said in John 5, 39, you, he's speaking of the Jewish leaders at this point, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they, the scriptures, that bear witness about me. He's speaking of Jesus. He's speaking of himself. This very example is what Paul is running, to, running into here in Thessalonica. Paul is persistent in coming into the synagogue week in and week out, reasoning with the Jewish officials that Jesus is the Christ. Some of you may be wondering, why, why, why is this challenging them? Why is this so controversial? Well, what does the word the Christ mean? It means anointed one or Messiah. Here you have Paul walking into a, a Jewish synagogue and declaring that there's an anointed one, that the one that the scriptures that you're reading about, he has come, that he has fulfilled all the law and the prophets, all the promises that the whole Old Testament came. Jesus is the anointed one means that all the Jewish sacrifices are rendered useless. Their whole sacrificial system no longer necessary in Jesus Christ. Their holy and sacred, sacred temple that they were standing in that they were meeting in, no longer necessary. God no longer resided in just a particular building. God now resides by the power of his spirit in each one of us who believe in Jesus and that we have his power and that he goes with us wherever we go. It's not just in a building. I can only imagine that Paul would have used the following text to reason with the Jewish officials. 
If you go back to Psalm 22, verses 12 through 18, the message of how the crucifixion was going to carry out is there. You go to Psalm 16, where uh, it talks about how this anointed one, his body would not decompose the way our natural bodies would. Paul maybe used Isaiah 53, where he was wounded for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities, our unfair behavior. Later on in Isaiah 53, he was the lamb that was to be slaughtered. These are just to name a few. But Paul was so well-versed in the Old Testament that he was able to reason with these people. And I can imagine this wouldn't be like your typical modern-day reason, maybe where you're sitting at Starbucks and you're having a nice little espresso or a latte and you're just sitting around talking about, well, this is how I feel or this is what I think or maybe this might work and you're just rattling off this person and that person. I'm, I'm pretty sure Paul wasn't doing that. Paul stuttered, studied under the, the leading Jewish leader, Gamaliel, who, who taught him about the Old Testament. But Paul was so well-versed in that that he was able to point people, I know where these texts are. I know what the Old Testament says about the Messiah, about the promised one. Here's how it's fulfilled in Jesus Christ. I wonder, uh, Paul asked a good question in, in our preparation, a side rant. He goes, how, many of, how much of that is true for us? How well do we do we know our Old Testament? To be able to go through the promises. You know, I ha I'll confess, I still have to do the Google search. With, I, I know the few in Isaiah 53, maybe get me in the Psalms a little bit. It's true for myself, but how many of us know the Old Testament well enough that the New Testament makes sense in Christ Jesus? I, I, I do get excited about Exodus. Uh, I'm scared to say that 100 weeks or something like that. Well, that's another topic for another day, and maybe I'll, maybe 10 weeks. Um, but he was so well-versed that he was able to pair the Old Testament with the New Testament and perfectly walk through. This is how Jesus has fulfilled it. This is how Jesus is the anointed one. This is how Jesus is who he says he is. But do we understand what is happening here? Just a quick picture for us today. That would be like someone just barreling in through the doors in the back, coming up here, kind of brushing me to the side and saying, the songs that you're singing this morning, the very book that you're reading from, the very words that you're talking about that book, the meal that you're going to share, these, these nice little symbols that you have. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we did a baptism. Those baptisms that you do are no longer needed. For those of you who have been in the faith long enough, have, been, have a good church history, these things maybe give you some nice warm fuzzies. Seeing a little baby baptized, oh, isn't she just perfect? You look at the communion meal, oh, this is so fitting, this is right, I've heard the word, I need to respond, I need to remember Christ's death and burial. But, but you have somebody coming in and saying that is no longer necessary. How does that sit with you? It doesn't sit well with me. It means I'm out of a job. If you want to put it in that text, I'm out of a job. Paul's out of a job. Some people responded in faith to the gospel message and accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior. While others had their hearts hardened and could not accept the gospel message, the message of Jesus as the Christ is what upset the parti this particular part of the world and this message that upset that particular part of the world still upsets us today. You cannot find salvation in yourself. You cannot be freed 
from the bondage of sin by clinging to the patterns of this world, the latest diet, the latest whatever, the latest gadget, whatever the world is telling you to do, whatever idea, the entitlement piece, that cannot save you. Your friends, your family, no matter how many good deeds they do, no matter how much they love you, how much they love others, they cannot save you. Your spouse, your children, no matter how much you love them, they cannot save you. Your place of employment, and this is hard for me to say because I work for two ministries that love Jesus, your place of employment cannot save you. It was never meant to save you. Your favorite hobby, whether it's fishing, going hunting, whatever it may be, reading, it cannot save you. Drugs, alcohol, sex, gambling, they cannot save you. The only thing that will set you free from your sin and save you from the one-way path toward conscious eternal separation from God in hell for eternity is the message of Jesus Christ. When I think of the message of Jesus Christ, Leah, can you throw this up here for me? There's a, I, I think back to this creed. Uh, when I was growing up, we said the Nicene Creed every Sunday. And as I was growing up, I didn't quite understand why we said these things. Now it's like technicolor for me. These are good things to say every Sunday. And so uh, I'm going to pick up from what is the message. This will help kind of paint the picture of the message of Jesus Christ. And I'm taking it just after the initial first two lines. And in, and in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made. Who, for us men, for our salvation, came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary, and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again according to the scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and sits at the right hand of the Father, and he shall come again with glory to judge the quick and the dead, whose kingdom have no end. These are the facts of the gospel that have been handed down to us. They've been handed down to us from the disciples, from the apostles. They were eyewitness accounts of what actually happened to Jesus. These are words that we can trust. Paul, back in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, he said this, Now I, re I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Friends, this is not something that we've made up. These very truths that we base our life on, that we, that we sacrifice, we die to ourselves, and that we live for the Lord, it's not some nice story that we've made up. It's not a story that people just got around and talked about, this would be a good story. The, there are facts to the gospel. These facts and these truths demand a response. They warrant a response. They need a response from each and every individual. So this brings us to our last point. God uses to help us verify by faith. After the uproar in the town, with the Jewish leaders and Jason, Paul 
Silas, Timothy, Luke, they leave and they go to Berea. And once in Berea, they continue their faithful presentation of the gospel. See, the Bereans there. They were more noble than those in Thessalonica. You know, they're a little bit, a little bit higher. A lot easier to talk to. I don't have to all the way down, talk the kind of dumb down things for you. Nope, they're right up here. I can speak the common lingo. I can talk to you. Would have loved it. Well educated. They knew their Jewish law. Yet, something I found quite particular, they were more noble they were also humble enough to sit under Paul's teachings and to hear what he had to say. I, I'm sure that they might have been convinced on these things, but they were humble that I'll hear you out. I'll hear what you have to say. As Paul would preach the word to them, they would, as verse 11 says, they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. These seemed to be ripe for the picking. Their hearts were softened. They heard what Paul had to say. Yes, amen. Let me die to my sin and let me follow what you have to say. Paul still had to be on top of his game though. Even though they were more noble, Paul still had to be sharp. Paul still had to have his unconquerable mental courage and his, and his indefatigable endurance. The Bereans were eager to respond. Therefore, each one of us, every man, every woman, every child, will have to give an account. Molly's going to have to give an account. Sarah's going to have to give an account. Randy's going to have to stand before God someday. Matt will. You're all gonna, we are all going to have to stand before God and give an account for our response to the gospel message. For some of us, we will have responded uh, to the gospel. We, we will have confessed that we cannot save ourselves, that we are dead, that we cannot get rid of this guilt, we can't get rid of our sin, our shame, and we will have brought that before Jesus, and we will have accepted his free gift of salvation, his grace, and we will have to do our best to spend the rest of our life worshiping Jesus for who he is and what he's done in our lives, others of us will have responded no to the gospel, that this is not true. We will have our hearts hardened. We all need to be faithful in sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And this will more than likely always upset people because the gospel confronts people with their current reality. Jesus, will, the message that he brings will always meet you with your reality that you are nothing. You don't bring anything to God. He brings everything to you. We need to be faithful in helping people respond to the Holy Spirit's prompting. We need to be faithful in loving people well and bringing people and being people who are great grace dispensers who love people well. We love like the world, we're, we're stupid with our love. It doesn't make sense the way we love people. How much money we give to these people as an act of worship, not out of just I'm going to do these things. We need to be those type of people. We need to be people who are firm on the truth, that we hold to the trustworthy word as taught, that we use the whole counsel of scripture with people. We need to hold fast. This is our guideline. But we all also need to be people who are persistent in bringing 
people to the throne of God in prayer. So as we wrap up this morning, uh, I kind of want to lay out how this has been, been seen in my life. Uh, the funny thing is, is Paul, Paul talked about it early on, that the more you read Scripture, the more Scripture starts to really read you. Uh, and you can kind of find yourself kind of engrafted, engraved into this story. So this morning, uh, here's how it's applied in my life, how this, how this tension uh, has played out. Grew up in a great family. I had parents that loved me well. We did fun things together. I had friends. I had other family members that maybe they would make a name for myself. Maybe that's where, where I would find success. And it's nothing against my parents or my family or anything like that. They were never meant to save me. But there was still this tension. And so maybe sports, maybe my, maybe my baseball team, maybe my basketball team that I work so hard for, maybe volleyball, maybe those things will give me my identity It'll show me where it's at. That failed. Well, maybe it's going to be this, this girlfriend. Or maybe it's, I didn't really have grades to cling to, but maybe it would have been them. I don't know. But they all failed me. They, nothing gave me the identity that nothing, nothing as I was growing up got rid of the sin in my life, that got rid of the shame when I just did things that were wrong. Where do I go with this? There was nowhere to go. My life needed to be met head on with the gospel of Jesus Christ for that was the only thing that would save me. By God's grace, he brought a, a girl into my life in high school. She found something worthwhile in me to hang around. But she would later bring me to youth group where I would have my life confronted. I would see my sin in technicolor because I saw who Jesus is and what he's done for me. And the two made a beautiful picture together that through my sin, my failures, my shame, Jesus had already paid the price of the cross for that. And that there was grace for me to receive. Therefore, salvation and spend a life worshiping Jesus. So if you've been around me long enough, you've heard a variation of that story. But on my wedding day, I found a little bit more to the backstory. See, on my wedding day, I received two gifts. One was obviously Amanda. The second was, was my wedding gift from her. On that morning, I received a notebook. No clue what this is. Came in a big bag with some tissue paper in it. Really light. Here, I'm thinking that's going to be a nice watch or something. Nope, it's a notebook. This notebook uh, was filled with letters. Letters to her future husband. No proper names are ever mentioned. Just husband. And on the last page, uh, just before I was wrapping up, sobbing through the whole thing, I got to the last page, and I, it was just the floodgates open. The first proper name in, in that book was listed, Dear Todd. So here I have this proper name. That my name's finally in the book to her future husband. It's a reality. We are getting married. But as I, I read, I read something that was even sweeter that just, that broke me. It humbled me. It changed. It just brought my whole story to Technicolor. And with Manda's permission, I, I have permission to read just this excerpt. Here's what she said to me. I just think it's so amazing how God works. I'm almost wondering if the year I for you was the year that you met Christ. And if that's the case, 
I'm absolutely blown away at God's plan. See, the funny thing is, or maybe not funny thing is, is that was the very year that I met Jesus Christ when she started praying for me. There's power in prayer, even for those who do not know the Lord. And so what got me thinking was this quote from last month's Second Tuesday Prayer. If you were there, you would have read this quote from All Hells being, if you weren't We find that most of us who have been unconverted have had someone praying for us. Someone who carried us personally to the throne of God while we were unconverted. It seems to me that no one is so poor as an individual for whom not a single soul is praying who has no one who takes him or her personally and persistently to God in prayer. I love that second half. It seems to me that no one is so poor of an individual that not even one person is praying for that person. Forget their wealth, forget their financial standing, forget whatever good things they have. No one is so poor if not one person is praying for that person. Consistently and persistently and faithfully doing that. Friends, we cannot forget the hard work of prayer for those who are not saved. We need to be just as passionate about praying for those who, who are perishing, who are separated from God. We need to be just as passionate about doing that as we are about sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with people. Because my story is, is an example of that. While there were faithful people in my life bringing me there was someone who was, who was bringing me to God who didn't even know me by name that was bringing me to God in prayer. As we close up our time this morning, we need to remember the present reality of this world, that we all are, we're, we are dead in our sin, and that we need to be met with the good news of Jesus Christ. We all need to be confronted. And as we do this, we need to be faithful men, faithful women, who are passionate about building relationships and helping people to understand the truth of the gospel. And the last thing is that we need to be people who are praying for their response. We cannot save people. I cannot save someone. Paul cannot save someone. Matt, Katie, they cannot save people. The elders, the deacons, they cannot save somebody. We know that this is the, this is the Holy Spirit's doing. But we can be people who are, who are faithful and praying for people and sharing the good news. The question this morning that needs to be answered, is this true for you? Is it true for you? Are you joyfully, are you going to joyfully and worshipfully share the gospel with those that are perishing? Are you also going to faithfully, joyfully, and persistently pray for those that are perishing? Great time to do this. Do this. This week, Tuesday, Paul talked about it in our announcements. Second Tuesday prayer. The focus of our time will be praying for those who are apart from God. An hour, one hour to potentially change the life of one person. One hour to come and pray. As we close up our time, I'm going to leave you, leave you with the words of John Wesley again. Where he says, give me 10 men that hate nothing but sin and loves nothing but God and we will change the world. 
I pray that that is true, that there are, that that would be true of us, that we would be more than 10, that we'd be people that hate nothing but sin, and we love nothing but God and his good news, and that we would be God's change agents in the world and in his kingdom. Amen? All right, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word this morning. God, we thank you for for Paul and his faithful sharing of the gospel message to the Jewish leaders. God, we thank you that, that he is an example of Jesus who is the perfect example of what it meant to live like for the Father. God, this morning, I pray that we as a church would have our eyes fixed on the gospel. God, that those of us are in Christ, that we would joyfully respond in worship and sharing the good news and praying for those, opening up the scriptures, that we would be people who listen like no other, that we would be people who love people, that we would be stupid with our love, God, that we would just um, pour out um, our love to others as a response to what you've done in our lives. God, I pray for those uh, who might be in this room this morning that do not know you. God, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would work on their hearts, that you would change their minds, that they cannot do that alone, that they cannot find a way out of their sin by themselves. They need to be met with you, Lord Jesus. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would do a mighty work in them. God, as we, as we get ready to come to the Lord's Supper, God, would we remember the price that was paid for us? Would we remember that we were dead in our sins and that it is only by God's grace that he sent Jesus Christ into this world to be the perfect sacrifice. And that it's in Jesus that we have life. As we come to that table, would we remember the weight of our sin and the price that was paid for that sin? Lord Jesus, I pray that we would be men and women who hate nothing but sin and love nothing but you. God, I pray that we would be a part of your people that help change the world for the sake and the glory of Jesus Christ. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.